Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Hockey, yeah, yeah. My favorite. It's Judd's Hockey Show. Wild Boots in game two of the qualifying rounds. They worked well on Sunday night. They lose four three in Declan. You know, I, I was taking notes and I was all prepared to come on this late night or actually early morning show with you today. And I was actually going to say, you know, four to one, the wild lose, blah, blah, blah. There's probably not a lot to talk about here. Uh, certainly not as good a game for the lads as they played on Sunday. And full disclosure, so I wrote down a list of names of wild players, and it's not very long, but in the third period, I started uh, to jot down some names of guys I need to see more from, right? Galchenyuk had a bad game. He's on my list. Um, Zuccarello, your guy, just continues to not be there. I don't know if he just decided not to go to the bubble and send a replacement who's wearing his jersey or what. But the third name that I was going to broach, and it's not because he had had a terrible game, but he, he can be far superior, was Kevin Fiala. And then Kevin Fiala... Then Kevin Fiala, it's four to one, takes a shot in laser, and it's four to two. And then he takes another one with what? I've got it here, 7.7 seconds left in third period, and it's four to three. Long story short, um, I'm going to show you right now. Here's my trusty pen, uh, and here are my notes. And I'm going to scribble out the name of Kevin Fiala as far as guys who didn't do their job. in, in, interesting game. The weird thing is, Brad Hunt took that last shot of the game. It actually handcuffed Markstrom, yeah. and he had to make. It wasn't a nice save, but he actually had. He actually somehow turned that into a difficult save. Just a weird finish to a game that I would say, if you're the Wild, wasn't real satisfying. But we can talk about this. I would also say that the game was not a surprise. Like they played, the Wild played a great game on Sunday. The Canucks, the Canucks didn't look, it's not that they didn't look like they were there, Declan, on on Sunday in game one. The Canucks just didn't look as prepared and the Wild had every answer at every turn in that game. Tonight, those top six on the Canucks are good. So you can't be surprised that Vancouver bounced back and, when Elias Pedersen plays well, I got news for you. It can be some trouble. It, it, if Fiala is playing well for the Wild and Pedersen is playing well for the Canucks, the Wild might not win the series, but it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Look, this is exactly, I think, the expectation we thought that would happen from Vancouver. Um, the Wild dominate game one. And any person, take out, take out your common sports fan for a minute, Judd, and any person who knows hockey knows that Vancouver was probably going to come out ready to go from the get gate. Uh, from, from, from the gate. And, of course, what happens? Opening shift, Vancouver comes out, scores on the first shot they have of the game. And then... Yes, the Wild were able to even it up. My guy, Luke Cunning, gets a great big game-tying goal. And, you know, I, I was, as I told you, went before the pause, which feels like, what, Judd, five years ago, but it was really only like five, six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really admiring what Luke Cunning was able to do. So when he gets that power play goal, he passes up a shot in that power play beforehand earlier in the first period. He then absolutely takes his shot for that second time on a shorthanded opportunity, mind you. And you see, okay, it's one-to-one. Vancouver mostly kind of dominated play in that first period, but you're, you're tied at the end of this. You're tied. So after 20 minutes, this is a win if you're the wild. And then unfortunately, and I, I hate to be this guy, but it felt like a three-way game. It was Minnesota and Vancouver versus the referees. And there was a penalty called on everything. And I don't know, Judd, if it's just because of the pause. So they told the referees, you're going to see a lot of things that you normally would have probably have not had called in a regular season or in a normal playoffs, but because you've been off for six months, you're going to see stick infractions. Oh my God, how many stick infractions did we see over the course of this game tonight? And it just felt like a three-way game to the point where the Wild get two, I, I, I don't want to call them meaningless goals, but they get two goals in the final minute, so the score looks a lot, of close, lot closer, but it felt like the Wild were battling against two teams tonight, and it was the referees and Vancouver. But the Canucks had the same pro- problem. It, in fact, I said, when I think it was within the first five minutes of tonight's game, the Canucks got two penalties. I said, this is a, a problem. It was a three-way game, but the Canucks and Wild were both, I mean, neither team got jobbed. In, in fact, the final power plays, the Canucks one for seven, Wild over six. So it was equal. It just drives me crazy because these, and it's, it is clearly, I don't care what they say. It is a league mandate. There have been way too many of these games thus far. They're going to call everything. And I don't know why I, my guess, my guess is the league came back and, and said the pause is probably going to cause some problems for offenses. Right. And we want goals like the qualifying round. We want people to tune in and see seven, six games. So it, it feels like they told the officials, call everything you possibly can to jack up the amount of goals as much as possible. But if I'm both teams, this now is going to be the norm. And as a fan, I don't like this. It drives me crazy. I actually want to see five on five hockey, not five on four, four on four, blah, blah, blah. Nonetheless, I think now what we have seen is it's been pretty well established. If you if you manage to play a qualifying round game in which you don't have 14 combined or more penalties called, you're fortunate. Um, and but that is the one thing. Okay, so that is the that was going to be my gripe about Fiala tonight, dude. You're not going to get calls all the time. If you complain, you're really not going to get them. You are an unbelievable, as he showed again tonight at times, uh, especially late in this game, he's a phenomenal talent. Um, but he's going to have to let this stuff go. Like he was talking to the linesmen and referees, I thought, continually. And Walls broached this too, and Wes is exactly right. Okay. You're, at times there's going to be bad calls that are going to go against your team. At times there's going to be 
no calls that don't go for you. Um, but the one thing that I would like to see starting in game three on Thursday, by the way, Thursday afternoon at 1.30, we get a <laughs> um, the one thing that I would like to see is 22 in the wild jersey, just not complain. Like, just accept it, go about your business, because you're, you're too good to get caught up in the muck of the game itself. Or the sure. And, and look, I think he's probably the best player in the wild and he's been playing so well for such a long time. And then there was a pause and I'm sure there's natural just frustration to his game, whether he was playing with a lead in game two or whether he was playing behind. Um, but you would like to see someone like that, even though with Fiala playing as well as he has and how much I just praised him during the last 30 seconds mm-hmm. that you got to have a little bit more self-awareness is probably, I think is what exactly Wes and maybe a lot of fans were looking at there was a lot of just self-awareness of the situation at hand. And I think Fiala is a very good player and someone that the Wild are lucky to have. And he's been blossoming, obviously, early on here. Um, I noticed him a lot in that first two shifts. There was a couple shifts early on, Judd, where I thought, okay, 22 is just like he was in game one. He was just like he was in the last week. He is Kevin Fiala, and here he goes. And then, I'll be honest, he disappeared for what I thought for the next 57 minutes outside of the last minute. And the only time you really noticed him was when he was complaining to the referees. You didn't really notice him as right. you didn't notice what he was doing on the ice, what he was doing to drive possession and uh, drive offense and this and that. Um, so that is disappointing. What I am curious, Judd, and what I want to broach to you is because is what's something you and I have talked about with this wild team and under Everson specifically is, can they play the up-tempo game? Can they play the offensive zone game? And are you okay with the fact that you're going to make an offensive zone turnover and it won't cost you? Well, look, Alex Galchenyuk, who I've been more bullish about over his tenure, his short tenure here at the Wild, you praise him for his play in game one and going into the game game one situation. He makes a really bad turnover in game one. And yeah. I'm not trying to tell you that what Everson's, Everson's philosophy is wrong, to don't make offensive turnovers and then they'll transition to the worst case scenario. But that is what happened when Alex Galchenyuk made a horrible turnover at the blue line and Vancouver goes down and scores. Now, is, is that just kind of, Judd, is that just Russian roulette? Is that what you're playing with when you, when you are okay with offensive zone turnovers? Or is that something that is definitely fixable and just kind of an outsider of how this team can play? So to your point, I think that there is definitely an, an ability for, um, for, the forwards to take some chances and there is a huge ability that I think Dean emboldens his defensemen to jump into plays guys like Brodeen and Dumbo, right? Here's where it crosses a line. And here's where my guess is that when they break down the film tomorrow on the Galchenyuk play Declan in particular, which, which made the score two to one um, Vancouver, here's where I think they're going to have a conversation. Galchenyuk takes the puck and does the dipsy doodle move back towards the Canucks blue line, right? He then, he then, as he approaches the blue line, makes a backhanded, irresponsible blind pass that, that, that and oh, but by the way, Miller picks off the puck, which means that the Canucks basically um, a top six guy who's damn good is on the ice. He picks off the puck, goes coast to coast and scores. That's just dumb. Like that's not a that's not a daring. Hey, you jumped into the plate and took a chance. Galchenyuk 
almost it was it's as if he's almost become a little bit too confident there and he's not that good like he's not that player and so i don't think that what galchenyuk did um means that the wild needs to crack down on the philosophy of how they're going to play all the time i do think it means this if you're going to make dumb plays against the canucks it's going to cost you and and it felt like on sunday in game one the canucks didn't have their act together enough Declan necessarily to take advantage of such plays. So if Galchenyuk had done that in game one, it feels like it might it might have backfired against the Canucks or not gone as well. But as we now get into the meat of this series and Vancouver gets their skill guys going, which it looked like tonight they definitely did, you can't have dumb plays. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that that stops guys from jumping into plays. I don't think that that stops the Wild from, from playing aggressive. And they did some things aggressively tonight, the penalty kill that early on was just fantastic because it played aggressive. But I do think that that, that goal in particular that uh, resulted in the Canucks second goal is a really good cautionary tale of if you get lazy or you get cute, we're going home. Right. And that's, and that's exactly probably what it is. Um, I, I, I think I was impressed with still how that offensive zone style of play works. Even what Judd, right, that, that first penalty. So Canucks come down, they score that opening shift. The wild come back around. Who, who, who comes in in the middle of the slot and right towards the end of the net? Jonas Brodine. How many times do you, would you, would you ever see Judd? And I don't think this was coincidence either. How many times would you see a defenseman coming in? sacrificing his own position because he's got a lane, he sees it, and he also has the coach's decision and coach's trust that it's okay to go in. It's okay to go towards the net, even though you're a defenseman. So when someone like someone like Jonas, especially Jonas Brodin, look, Judd, he's a, he's a stay-at-home defenseman. He's, he's not known for his offensive prowess. He's not Brad Hunt. He's not Matt Dumb. He's not even Jared Spurgeon or Ryan Suter. He know, he's known for being a stay-at-home defenseman. So how much trust does it have for Jonas Brodin to know that, well, oh, I have a lane. I see it. I can go towards the net. And even if I sacrifice and it goes in transition the other way, that's going to be all right. I was impressed by that. Oh, yeah. And and that's a play where, um, where going back to when Bruce was coach, Declan, Suter has long come down that left wing side and spun behind the net, right, and, and tried to pass out front or get a shot. Um, Spurgeon, same thing on the right side. And Spurgeon, I, I think, since Dean got the coaching job, has been ultra aggressive at times, and he's got a really good shot, and that makes sense. But to what you're saying, unless I'm just forgetting completely the amount of times that I've seen Brodeen, of all people, the ultimate stay-at-home, protect Dumba's butt, right? I mean, you right. know, Dumba does D- Dumba's allowed to join the play and does the offensive things that at times get Dumb in trouble. Um, but Brodine is the steadying force back there. And for him to come flying down the slot a handful of times this year, maybe, Declan? So, yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, I also want to say this, because I've, I've heard this discussed about in detail before in relation to the sport, and it's been debated if it's important or not. The Vancouver Canucks tonight were marvelous on faceoffs. okay? They were absolutely great. And there's long been, I've long heard debates about um, you know, face-offs, if you win them, who cares? Or if you win them, it's a huge deal. But I will say this as to the importance of face-offs tonight. If I'm not mistaken, the Fiala goals that he scored late, both came off face-off draws that the Wild won. And Fiala has that howitzer of a shot. Um, and, and so 
I think to underestimate or say that faceoffs aren't key for possession purposes in this series is a mistake because when you have the right people, now if it's fourth line, that's probably fine. But if you have the right people, the Pedersen for the Canucks, JT Miller for the Canucks, Zach Besser, or or Fiala for the Wild, I really think that we need to accept the fact that in those cases, winning faceoffs and getting offense from those faceoffs, lots of times just being shots is absolutely important. So don't underestimate the importance of faceoffs with especially the skill position guys in this series because if you get that puck to Fiala quickly, Fiala's got that shot. And if right. you don't, if you lose the draw and, and then the puck goes in, in the corner and gets tied up, blah, 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 that is a uh, that's it. That is a potentially big deal. But I just really thought that the two draws that they won late in that game that resulted in the Fiala goals were of huge importance and serve as, as sort of the sort of a cautionary tale about don't dismiss the importance of winning draws. Yeah, and uh, I think there is there is a little bit of a myth in that the teams that win faceoff battles as a team consistently over time, you know, or always one and two in faceoff draws, don't necessarily equate to Stanley Cup championships. But when you're in situations, Judd, I, I when, when you're breaking things down in postseason where faceoffs do matter, when you have to get this offensive zone, there was one today, I believe, uh, Judd, in the second period where. I don't know if it was on the power play or not, but X got to win the draw. And in fact, he does win the battle necessarily with the puck drop. Then Vancouver's able to, you know, actually get the puck in the middle of the zone, clear it, and then go all the way down the ice. Those are the kind of plays where it's then a hyper-analyzed. We're focusing on it a lot more. And I do think that, you know, like Koivu, even with the the new rules in place, is still a very good face-off specialist. I think Joel Eriksson Eck, um, in general, without the numbers in front of me, knows what he's doing when he's in the face-off circle. So I, I don't want to look at it as like, well, if the WoW won the face-off battle tonight, it's a completely different game. And I, and I know that's not necessarily what you're implying. But no. but when you're looking at how many penalties the Wild took tonight, when you looked at all the power plays the Wild took tonight, those draws, when you when there's so much penalties at their disposal, they do matter. And, and I think that's exactly what a lot of fans probably are taking away from this is, well, the Wild had what – I think Judge six, at least six to seven power play opportunities tonight. They and had they had six, and the Canucks had seven. So there, you and know, one power play goal scored. So there was, you know, twenty some minutes of, of penalties called tonight. And look, it's one thing if uh, you're not able to get it done five on five, but can you can you make it home on the power play? We talked about in game one. What's the two most important ingredients to playoff success? Goaltending, special teams. Even even if you play as poorly as you do five on five, can you get those two things and you can squeak away with a win? I won't say that Vancouver squeaked away with a win tonight because I do think Vancouver was just the better team for the majority of this of this game tonight, Judd. But but if the Wild were able to cash in on two power plays earlier in the game, then it is you you are able to admit the 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 mistakes you made five on five. You're able to admit the face offs you didn't win, and the Wild weren't able to do that tonight. Let's talk about your guy. Oh, boy. Matt Zuccarello. Oh, boy. Honest to God. Okay, because he is, and I saw tweets tonight fairly asking, is he is he playing? Which, of course, is being sarcastic, and I completely get that. But this guy is on your second power play. 
this guy needs to be, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up your butt about he needs to be a you know great player, but he does need to have an impact of some sort, right? He needs to be noticeable. He needs to be, right now, through two games, it's not close. Ryan Hartman, who's on the fourth line, has yeah. been far more, far more of, of an impact than Zuccarello has. And I just don't know. I mean, this guy had a successful career with the Rangers. I don't know if he's to the point of sort of being cooked. I mean, he's not a terrible player, but if he's sort of cooked at this point, I, he just had four months off, though. Okay. So he had four months off. He had a long time to rest and relax um, and get himself right mentally. And, and so I think, I think now we're long past the point of, well, he's new here, right? He just signed here and it's going to be that transition year. The transition year ended basically on March 12th. So what exactly is going on here where a veteran player who, by the way, too, is loved by Ranger fans who are some of the hardest people to please. So like this guy was not playing in in Los Angeles and a bunch of people liked him and now he's here and failing. And we're like, well, I guess those Kings fans are idiots. This is a guy who this is a guy who was given a tribute in the garden by Ranger fans who love this guy. And Declan, honest to God, I watch him play, and he, he does make some okay passes. But I watch him play in a game like this, in a playoff game, and, and he's a veteran guy, and he's been to the finals before. And I see almost nothing. Like, explain, explain any of this to me, how you can have, again, how can Ryan Hartman, a fourth-line guy who just works his ass off, how can Ryan Hartman be having so much more of an impact on the first two games so far, than a guy that you signed to a multi-year big-time contract um, and at least thought, he okay, he's going to help us. At this point in time, what's Matt Zuccarello? What would you say you do here, Matt's, from the old office baseline? Oh, God, uh, it's tough, Peter, man. Yeah, go ahead. Because, yeah, he, he's my guy, and I, I thought um, that when they signed him, even though it was a no-movement clause contract, I was like, look, look, this guy was the man in New York. He was... He didn't get the success or uh, he didn't get the acclaim that he deserved, but he was a very important player for the New York Rangers. And you're getting essentially what I thought, Judd, was a better Mikhail Granlin. That's that's what I was looking at with with, with Matt Zuccarello. That's, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and not even I, – I shouldn't say that he was going to be a, a better Mikhail Granlin, just a more defined. So Granlin, I think, just could never get out of his – is he a playmaker? But he has, he has a finishing ability where he could be a goal scorer. So what are you, Mikhail Granlin? You're a center, you're a wing, you play better off the center, you're a better wing. But Matt Zuccarello, we know, we exactly know who he is. And I think Matt Zuccarello probably has more of the respect around, hockey, around the National Hockey League as someone who is an established player, who is a legitimate playmaker, and he's probably going to set some people up. That being said, um, I was curious how he was going to play with Galchenyuk and Felino, and that was the initial lines. And you, and you saw, Judd, I think, um, not to go off on a side tangent, but as the game wore on, Dean was pulling his, his best. Any other NHL hockey coach was mix-matching lines and hodgepodging lines because why why wouldn't you? It's the playoffs. Everything's heightened. You're trying to get up 2-0. You're down multiple goals in the second period. Of course, you're going to try to change things up from what you were doing before. Uh, that being said, is it, it, am I am I def- am I have too much of a guard up on Matt Zuccarello to say, like, well, if Alex Galchenyuk had his worst game tonight, and Marcus Foligno, who I do love and, and is a great role player, are, are we putting Matt Zuccarello in the best situation to succeed if those are his line mates? And that's why I wanted to tell That's why I was telling you in the, in this games leading up to the, to the series, 
that if, if I was the wild, I want to put him with Fiala. I want to put him with a player that he's going to consistently set up to score those goals. That being said, he had an atrocious game tonight. Um, I don't think he gets scratched or anything, but he's, he was, he was miserable tonight. And, and we don't go too much into Corsi and I don't love to go by it all, all that being the bread and butter of any hockey game. But in terms of Corsi, Matt Zuccarello was your worst player tonight. He, he was, uh, a plus two on Corsi and a minus six and created no high danger chances. And, and, and if I'm Matt Siccarello and I know what he's supposed to bring, I want to be able to create high danger chances. That's what I want to see him do. He hasn't been able to do that, man. And and it's not a full panic mode button, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say that, yes, Ryan Hartman was more noticeable tonight. And unfortunately, that means that guys like Matt Sikorel now, Skalchenyuk, were completely irrelevant, and it overshadows the good that Ryan Hartman can bring. Galchenyuk, I think, was definitively tonight bad. Like that, that, that play that, that led to the second goal for the Canucks was a terrible play. I mean, that was a loser play. Um, but yeah, and and Hartman unfortunately got hit by Pedersen at the end of the game, and I think he hit his head up on the ice. Um, yeah. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that he left the game because of a potential concussion. So I'm not sure that he's going to be able to play on Thursday. And believe it or not, if if Hartman can't play on Thursday, that is actually a fairly significant loss because that that role that he plays as a fourth line worker slash disturber is a pretty big one. I, I would say of the wild forwards tonight, um, going through this decks, the guys who I who I would want more from if I'm Dean in game three and Billy Guerin without a question uh, would be Galchenyuk has to do more. He has to play a much smarter game, a better game. Zuccarello has to show up for sure. Um, your guy, and I say this in jest, Greenway tonight. Greenway can do so much more. And this is just about, is he ever going to consistently apply himself? And unfortunately, to what you've been saying on this show for a long time now, it's looking more and more like the answer might be no. But you know, Greenway's been being given a chance to play on what amounts to the first line with Stahl and Fiala decks. And Jordan Greenway is in no way, shape, or form, I don't think, coming close to grabbing the opportunity that is presenting itself in, by the way, the playoffs. Uh, so I want to see more from 27, what, 36, 18. And, and you know what, still? And I know he's a fourth line guy, but he, but I'd like to see him flash at, at times. And I think he flashed maybe once or twice in game one. And tonight, I don't think he did. Donato again, Ryan Donato. I know he doesn't play a ton. I know it's not perfect. I know that he would probably prefer to be on the third or second line. And we can talk all, all we want about that. And I've, you know, been the first in saying at times that I would like to see him get more opportunities to play in significant situations and there clearly is not a trust there yet but ryan donato can do more too but yeah i i do think you know if you're going to present jordan greenway with the chance and i'm curious to see now in game three if they're going to bring him out and stick him on the left wing on that top line again or start to juggle things but that's another guy playoff hockey should be built for him like jordan greenway should look at playoff hockey and say absolutely i'm all in where do i sign up and it always feels like he's on the fringe of being like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll try it out. But you want to see so much more. And um, and unfortunately tonight, for sure, with Jordan Greenway, you just didn't. And look, man, I 
if you're the wild, especially going into this season, I, I remember at the beginning of, of, of 2019 regular season, which again, feels like a decade ago. Um, I was looking at the wild roster of players that you should keep players. You should look to move on from players who aren't going to be worth or even the, or, or even shouldn't be sticking around. Jordan Greenway on paper is 22, what, 22, 23 years old. He's a second round pick. He's still young. Um, these are the kind of players in a rebuilding year you should stick with. You're going to have restricted free agency access. You're going to have them on a cheap deal um, because most of them aren't like Kevin Fiala's and they're not going to command big deals in RFA years or, or have to worry about paying them and, for, and, and foregoing those RFA years. That being said, I don't know if it's just because I've been burned on on Charlie Coyle for the better part of the last decade, Judd. I just look at Jordan Greenway and I just see that I've seen this Cinderella story before, man. And he's a, he's a great size. He he should be better. And I think that's the frustrating thing. And if they want to stick if they want to stick with him, of course, I'm not going to I'm not going to throw them under the bus for for not sticking with the 23-year-old second round pick. Mm-hmm. I just think if if the deal breaker is can you get better at another position and you'd have to sacrifice him? You do it. You do it. You do it every single time. And if that's the camel that breaks the straws back and you wouldn't do it, then that's where I have an issue. That's exactly where I would have a problem with what he's doing. And, and he's a big guy. I, I still think he, he has a future in this league. Look, Judd, Charlie Coyle has been in this league for what, eight years. And he's probably going to play another five to seven years. If that he's going to have a good NHL career. And when he's all said and done, he can look back and say, hey, I'm Charlie Coyle. I'm Jordan Greenway. I played 16 years in the NHL. I won a Stanley Cup. I didn't get a Stanley Cup, but I played 1,000 games, and it was a great career, blah, blah, blah. But in these moments, I want to see players step up. And Luke Cunning doesn't take a shot, and and people saw it, and people ripped him a little bit for it. Then he gets his chance again on a shorthanded opportunity, and he cashes in. I want to see more of that kind of mentality. And that's not to say Luke Cunningham played a perfect game tonight, but I want to see that it factor from young players because this is where you do it. You don't you don't get done watching a wild game and think to yourself, 19 didn't work hard enough. You get done watching a wild game and think to yourself, 18 could do more. And and the thing with Greenway is there's no question that when he applies himself and the size is so great that the talent is there. I will say that I do think that there is a case to juggle lines going into game three and that you take Greenway off this line. And and I don't know if the answer is to try and flip Zuccarello, who is a left-handed shot who likes to play on the right wing, if the answer is to put him on the left side because you're not going to touch where Fiala is playing or what. But I think that tonight that Jordan Greenway possibly played himself off that line. Uh, Galchenyuk, third-line center, I don't think is going to be benched, and I don't think he's going to be demoted, and I don't think he's going to be moved away because I will say this. He has shown um, since he got here that when they put him at center, he is more successful. At wing, he just sort of got lost and didn't do much. Right. Uh, uh, what do you think as far as the Canucks go um, Is in, you, in your mind, Dex, is this the Elias Pettersson that we're going to see for the rest of the series? Because if this is him, um, you can put guys on him. You, you can try and stop him. And look, the Wild, I think, plays ordinarily a pretty good structure. Uh, all of that being said, the guy that we saw tonight is is the real Pedersen. And uh, this is a highly skilled player who is extremely dangerous. And, you know, the again, the Canucks top six, which is really good, did not play well in game one. The Wild did a good job. 
But the Wild wasn't terrible tonight, and they probably weren't as good against that top six in game one as we thought. The Canucks just went from being going 30 miles per hour to 65. Uh, so what's your thought about Pedersen's game, and, and do you think that this is the guy that we're going to see for the rest of the series? Because if this is him, this thing's going to be tough to win. Not saying they can't, and Fiala is a great player. But this is going to be tough. This guy is a sniper. I mean, this guy's got a ton of talent. Is this the guy we're going to see the rest of the series? I, yeah. I definitely can't. the guy that we saw tonight now, the guy mm-hmm. that we're, we're going to see on Thursday, and then again in game four and possibly game five. Because the guy in game one was, you know, not scary at all. The guy that we saw tonight was, was mm-hmm. making plays essentially left and right. This is what happens if, if you don't shut down this guy. And, and the Wild are, or excuse me, the Canucks are a team that is built very heavily on the top six. They don't have a lot of depth. But if, if you're able, even if you're able to take away one of those lines, things can get a lot easier. So if Eck or Koivu, and I think that's usually going to be the two lines that are matched against them, um, if they're able to shut a guy like Pedersen down, then that does make things a lot easier. Um, if you're, if you're straight up asking me, is this pet is what we saw from game two from Pedersen? Is this what we're going to see the rest of the series? Yeah. Well, if, if the wild do not figure out a way to slow him down, then yes, that's exactly who we're going to see. This is a, this is your worst night. What we saw today. I, I don't know if I want to even call it a worst nightmare, but this is what happens if you're not able to contain the top six. Right. next will look like a better team. But, um, but they bounce back too. Well, like in game one, in game one, the wild played well, and I don't want to take away from how the Wild played in game one, okay? But those top six didn't have a good game. Like those top six, I don't know if they were nervous, the jitters, new to the playoffs, because um, the Canucks aren't a super, super um, um, uh, team with with lots of playoff experience. But all of that being said, in game one, they did not play that, that well. The Wild deserves credit for what they did, but Pedersen had a bad game. Tonight, he looked great. Uh, and here's the problem, too, I think, starting on Thursday. If every game is going to be called decks as tight as tonight's game was, shutting down Patterson becomes incredibly difficult because they're going to call a lot of what you're going to try to do, right? Because it's going to be hooks and it's going to be small slashes. And it used to be the small slash you could get away with all day long. I mean, nobody ever used to call that. And now if you put your stick on a guy's stick, you're going to, to, uh, to the box. So I think that the formula for stopping Pedersen is all well and good, but it's going to be incredibly difficult because I think it's going to get you penalties at lots of turns, and then you're killing off penalties, and then you know the, the Canucks have the man advantage, and he's on the ice. Um, now, if they if they get a different officiating crew and those guys back off a bit, that could change things. But it really just seems like the league wants power plays, and, and it seems to go beyond any one officiating crew and actually extend to almost a league wide mandate. And so I'm curious what the I'm curious what the strategy to stop guys like Pedersen is going to be when the officials are clearly chopping at the bit to call penalties. And and that's where it's it's hard for me Judd, to draw the line of all right were the, were the Wild facing a second team in the referees tonight or also was it both teams had six to seven power plays and one team took care of business and one team didn't. Um, and and that's kind of where we have to where we have to draw a line with the Wild. That being said, if 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 I'm just looking at the Canucks. And you can take away someone like Pedersen. I feel a lot more better with the Wild's chances to come out on top. You're able to shut down a line like Pedersen's because then Vancouver only has one thing to answer, and the Wild have three things to answer. So then it's just a numbers game. That being said, 
Besser and Pedersen and Horvath and all these guys are superior to the Wild's top line. So when they're when they're playing well, it's going to be very difficult to slow them down. So you saw two polar opposites tonight. You saw the Wild's veteran leadership, and I will even say great coaching by Dean Evason that he outcoached Canucks flat out in game one. He did. He out he, he definitely out schemed, out coached. We love breaking baseball games down like football games. If we we're going to break down game one like a football game, it was a scheme situation. And from start to finish, Dean Evason skated circles, pun intended, around the Vancouver Canucks. And game two, complete opposite. You, you, you literally saw the Vancouver Canucks use their star power and take advantage of opportunities. And the score only looks a lot closer just because of Kevin Fiala's two goals in the final 45 seconds of the game. Um, as we do kind of wrap up, I do want to ask you too, what do you, what do you, how do you assess Stalock's game tonight after you saw it? Obviously the first shot, you know, you'd love to have that back, but what, what, how would you look at Stalock's game tonight in net for the well? I think it was okay. I don't think it was certainly not great. Um, the thing I liked about how he played t- tonight was, was he gives up that first goal. What was that? Uh, 24 seconds into the game. The wild comes back actually and from that point on early in the first period they outshot the Canucks six to one um Stalock then seemed to me after he gave up that goal that going to calm down quite a bit he made some nice saves um you know the Miller goal off the Galchenyuk turnover might not have been a great goal but it's a terrible but it's a terrible turnover by the forward and it put Stalock in a tough position um, so I would assess it as an okay game, not a great game, but I certainly didn't think it was the problem to like, if I was to give you the non three stars. So if I was to give you the three, right. the, the three duds, uh, Stalock would not be among my three duds. And because of that, I would come back with Stalock on Thursday. I don't think he lost the net tonight. I don't think I, I didn't leave my TV to do this fine edition of, Judd's hockey show with the side of Declan. I didn't walk away from my TV saying, you got to make a goaltending change. And you know what? These days in the playoffs, that said a lot. Um, if I'm Dean, though, I come back with Staylock on Thursday because I found nothing he did to be to warrant him now not starting. How about you? Yeah, I, that's kind of what I was looking at. It was a more rhetorical question of that. I don't think that Staylock's play tonight was the reason the Wild lost. Did he let in a bad goal on the first shot? Yes. Should he have stopped the Alex Galchenyuk turnover that led to a transition for Vancouver? Probably yes, but also then, if Galchenyuk doesn't make that turnover, then we're not talking about it. Um, I think Staylock, rightfully so, deserves Game 3. If if it was if, if Vancouver scores in their first shift, which is what they did, and then they get another goal in the first five minutes. Then maybe, then maybe, if I'm Everson, I do have to pull the plug. At that point, maybe I do have to pull the plug. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to go down that road. Um, I think the Wild just weren't able to cap, uh, weren't able to number one slow the top line down of Vancouver, which caused some headaches. And then you weren't able to bury even at least one more power play chance. If you want, to, if you want me to play devil's advocate, Kevin Fiala scores two goals in the last thirty seconds. Well, if we're just looking at a thirty thousand fit view. 30,000 foot view of the game. Mm-hmm. If you score on one of those penalty, uh, power plays, then it's a tie game. Then it's a t- completely tie game. So, so it's not that the Wild, I think, um, played disastrous tonight. It was just they weren't able to capsulate on opportunities. And Vancouver, when you don't slow that top line down, this is what happens. This is just exactly what happens. And it, and it has nothing to do 
even with how porous Judd the Wilds goaltending has been over the course of the season, even with Alex Stalock having a, a better season for Alex Stalock, but let's be honest, as a whole, we do know the Wilds' biggest weakness is goaltending. Um, I don't. I, I've yet to look at either game in games one and two, and I've thought, man, if uh, if Wild just had a little bit better goaltending, could have gone this or that way. I've yet to think that. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's safe to say, Dex, that in six periods so far over two games of this uh, qualifying round series, that the Wild's worst period, the second period tonight, like that was the one period where you came away saying they got outplayed and and there were moments in that period where they played okay but that one was a problem and yeah it's just if i'm gonna make changes so if if i'm dean going into tomorrow's practice to potentially make changes for thursday um i'm probably taking greenway off that top line um i'm looking long and hard and probably having a heart-to-heart with galchenyuk I might do the same with Zuccarello because I'm just wondering where the hell he's gone to. But Stalock stays in goal. And and if you lose on Thursday and he plays like he did tonight, I'm not going to be surprised then going into game four if they do make the switch to Dubnik at that point in time. But um, there are other changes that I would be making to look, if, if not to the lineup, then to my lines for Thursday long before I take a look at my goaltender and decide that I'm going to uh, go to Dubnik for that game and sit stay lock. So just my thoughts. Yeah. And, and I, I told you after game one that I thought if the, if the wow win game two, it's a kill shot. I know one of the biggest cliches that, oh, yeah. people, that, that people despise in, in sports. And when we're talking about sports is when you say it's a must win game and when it's legitimately a non must win game, but if the wild win game two, I don't see any scenario where they lose three in a row. Um, so, and now it's an even series. Now we're exactly back to where we started. And whoever wins game three, naturally, is going to have the advantage. So I, I, I think that it's still Staloc's net. It would take probably an awful lot to get Devin Dubnik or Kapo Kakinen and Matt Robson in the game. It's going to be Alex Staloc's net regardless. Yeah, not playing Declan. Yeah. Sorry. But hey, he went to the bubble. Okay. I, I'm happy that he was able to at least yeah. go to the bubble. Every goaltender's sitting there right now. Hey, doesn't Tari. Can I come? Because I, I don't really like how Tari in the bubble deck. I don't really like how life's going in my country, so I wouldn't mind uh hanging out in Canada and playing some and watching hockey and playing some video it's games. Canada, head there right now. Doesn't sound um, too bad. Yeah, but I I do think that if I think that if the Wild loses game three and Stalock plays the same, my guess is we see Dubnik in game four. And that's just a total guess. Um the weird thing is from the Canucks standpoint. I would say going into game three, if Markstrom hadn't given up the two late goals, that we would have swung back to, okay, goaltending-wise, advantage Canucks for sure, right? Yeah. So if this was 4-2, Markstrom played pretty well. Yes. Um, we would be saying going into game three, advantage again, check mark Canucks here. But because he gave up those two late goals, I'm not so sure now. I mean, he looked rattled. He looked through the when Brad Hunt, again, Dex, at the end of that game, dumps the puck in, and it knuckles some, okay? But, yeah. he, dumps that, but he dumps that puck. Markstrom looked flustered. Like, right. he jumped up to stop that thing. It, it, felt, it felt like if that had actually been more of a shot on goal a little bit, it could have gone in. And that's not to say that it was some great shot by Brad. That is to say that Markstrom looked rattled at that point. So I basically went from saying, for early or midway through the third period of this game, um, 
that the Canucks now had the advantage again in goal to saying, I'm not so sure because Fiala scored those two goals and it it looked like that got into the head of the Vancouver goaltender. And I'm going to be curious to see that from the start now of the afternoon game again, thank God, in game three, if he is a little bit um, flustered by those two goals by Kevin Fiala. So. Yeah, look, uh, Markstrom to me, Judd is is a top ten goaltender in the league. Um, I, yeah, I think he's, he, he's he's a glue guy. He's going to be Vancouver's bread and butter for what you would hope to be the next the rest of the decade. He, you, if you're Vancouver, you have your goaltending equation figured out. The Wild do not have their goaltending equation figured out long term yet. Um, I I don't look at I don't look at what Fiala was able to do in those last minute and I don't look at Brad Hunt's shot as like, oh wow, Markstrom's beatable. Mark Markstrom did this and this and that. No, I, I have yet to see that. I think for the majority of the game, the Canucks were in control and then this the box score made it look a lot closer, even even with just those last few shots in the last minute. Right. No, no. I agree that the Canucks were in control. I'm saying the goaltender looked flustered. And you think, weird. You, th- you think there's there's a there's a chink in the army there that the Wow can attack. I think that he might think too much. I think that there's times he thinks too much. I, I think I think between Fiala's God-given ability with that shot, which is a great shot, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's so good, I think that Fiala, and probably to a certain degree, rightfully so, is in Markstrom's head, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. I'm just curious if when they come out and play on Thursday, if we're going to see it be Stahl, Greenway, Fiala, or if they're going to flip that. Because... To your point from before, it would be interesting to see if they changed that wing and gave a guy a chance on the left wing to play on that line because Fiala is so damn good. He's got the ability to elevate people's games. And right now, and I don't know why, I just don't see Greenway being engaged enough to have his game taken up that notch. It's frustrating, but it's the truth. So. And and I think, um, as as we kind of close out here, I mean, it's probably gonna be the same lineup, Judd. I, I would assume it's. It, I would be shocked if, unless um, you know, actually, the only the only reason there would be a lineup change, and I know Michael Russo reported just here in the last couple of minutes, that's been there's been no word on uh, on the severity of the injury to Ryan Hartman. The only the only real roster change is if Hartman's injured, and yeah. then obviously by default you have to add someone uh, to that mix. Is that Victor Rask? Yeah, uh, right. I don't add a kid from Iowa to add a youngster. Jerry, probably Jerry time. That'd be fine. Yes, give somebody yeah. else a chance. Do not play Victor Rask. Yeah, it's it, crazy. It, I, I can't. I, I can't do it anymore. As much as I love these uh one twenty a.m. uh live chats we're doing here with our loyal audience, Judd, it will be kind of nice to do a uh, four p.m. five p.m. post game when the Wild do drop the puck at one thirty on a Thursday. One thirty, and here's the good news: afternoon start halfway decent ice i'm oh. tired of these i'm tired of these bouncing puck games that's the one thing these trying to watch the, these games with pucks bouncing i mean it this is this has and it's fun but this is the state high school hockey tournament late game yeah i mean the pucks are bouncing it's harder to maintain possession they're knuckling at times so anyway all right so we, we're going to do this again on Thursday, approximately, what, 4 o'clock or so? Yeah, 4 or 5 o'clock, probably. All right. And, of course, we appreciate all of you who have tuned in uh, to join us late night on, uh, what, Twitter? We got Twitch. We got Facebook. Am yes, I missing sir. something? 
Oh, you got all three. You hit the trifecta. That's the hat trick of the uh, streaming services of the uh, of one of the number ones Minnesota sports podcasts. Up like sixty five percent in action movie reviews and up one hundred and twenty percent in old tweets exposed from two two years Back ago. Curious tomorrow uh, on on Friday we will no. be doing action movie rewind Fast and the Furious. I yes, know. I'm, I'm actually going to watch it tomorrow. Yeah, it's I your first did. time. It's I your first did. time. I may. I am a Fast and Furious virgin at this point i'm very excited uh, all right yeah. we're we're done judd's hockey show uh he's declan i'm judd and uh you will find us again talking post game on thursday after the wild canucks declan Ashley score he knows he once ate an entire sheet cake he knows your selfie life isn't your real life he knows what goes down on the dms shouldn't you know your dog better now you can learn his inner secrets with embark the highest rated dog dna test Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today.